WNQA. Hello and welcome to WNQA, the official podcast of the WNQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. Got a lot of show this week. Our guest is Fernando Ruiz, a longtime artist for Archie. You may also know his Kickstarter series with Dan Parent, Die Kitty Die. Uh, he's got a Kickstarter going on right now called The Haunted Cowboy. It's a tale of revenge in the Old West. Centered on a teenager who uh, trains as a gunslinger under Wild Bill Hickok right before Hickok gets killed. Uh, so we talk about that project and uh, some of his other work, uh, his work as an instructor at the Kubert School up in North Jersey. And uh, fun fact, Fernando, Matt, and I are all going to be at Free Comic Book Day at Dewey's Comic City in Madison, New Jersey on May 4th. So uh, we hope to see you there. We're going to be recording a live show there. Uh, but before we talk to Fernando, Matt and I are playing News Roundup. Uh, a lot of stuff came out this past weekend at C2E2. Uh, chief among it all, uh, the fact that Jonathan Hickman's going to be writing some X-Men. Uh, so I had some feelings about it. Kind of just let it all let it all out there. Uh, so why don't we start with that? You're me and Matt. Okay, so uh, this past weekend was C2E2. We weren't there. <laughs> but, you know, we were... We, we were certainly Twitter stalking uh, everyone who was. Uh, shout out, real quick shout out to our Acts of Friendship friends who did glow, including uh, Charlie, uh, past and future guest Charlie Davis, and uh, Chris and Christy from Chris's on Infinite Earths were there, and uh, Zach from Battle of the Atom was there. So, you know, I felt like I was living vicariously through them. But uh, anyway, the, the big news out of C2E2 uh, was that, uh, as people had suspected for quite some time, and, and I guess I was kind of in denial about, Jonathan Hickman is writing the X-Men. Uh, he's going to be, uh, I guess in July, once Age of X-Men wraps, he's got two bi-weekly series that are going to, of course, run weekly. So basically a 12-week series, uh, House of X and Powers of Ten. It's the letter X. It's the Roman numeral, uh, 10, but it's definitely Powers of 10, which smacks of the Weapon Plus program. But I, I doubt that has anything to do with it. Or maybe it does. I don't know. We don't know anything about it. <laughs> all we, all we have is... Yeah. So there's a good chance Weapon Prime seems sort of right up Hickman's weird conspiracy-loving alley. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, at this point, all we have to go on is an announcement and a Mark Brooks poster, which is very different from the uh, David Marquez poster that came out before Disassembled. You know, it's another uh, widescreen one, but it's got a lot of weird random pulls on it. It's got Bill the Lobster from Fallen Angels. I mean, you look at this like, okay, I mean, so, like for every like really familiar, like, okay, that's a traditional Magneto. Mm -hmm. That's a traditional looking Cyclops. It's like, oh, that's... Thunderbird, that's um, X Babies Havoc. That's oh, I didn't see X Babies Havoc. X Babies Havoc is on the right, slightly uh, standing right in front of Lilandra and behind Swashbucklery looking Nightcrawler. And then there's two characters at the very front who both look like sort of weird mashups, like. I would say it's Azazel, but he looks less douchey. It definitely, um, I thought it was Azazel, but yeah, you're right, because the other person in the foreground looks like Colossus Domino Magic Baby. Yes, I, mean, I mean, not exactly. baby adult, but I mean like the combination of their, you know, right. <laughs> DNA. 
and, and then Vulcan is there for some reason. God help us. Oh, so that's just not a shrunken down Havoc. That is an X-Baby Havoc. You're I right. think that's X-Baby Havoc. Yeah. Okay. And Vulcan right behind us. Dazel and yeah. multiple storms. You've got multiple genes, like, multiple genes. Or I was wondering if that might be Rachel in the upper quadrant. Uh, oh, yeah. OK. All right. I wasn't even thinking about that one. So I, I think that's Rachel in the upper right. But there's 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 Neil Adams, Jean Grey next to Vulcan. And then there's like 1960s casual wear Jean oh. Grey sitting on the bench next to Xavier who's You're got right. his arm around her which sure. is very creepy which is why I thought that was Moira but you're right that is Jean well it could be I Moira was... it could be Amelia Vote. Charles Xavier's got a type <laughs> yes a little bit <laughs> but yeah. it also apparently is one of those periods where he can walk because his yes. legs are crossed yeah I mean is that him in I'm waiting for him to show up in uncanny in um phantom x's body because he's still out there yeah and rosenberg wrote him in the uh, astonishing annual so it's outside the realm of the possibility but i also i mean at least as far as the book's been solicited i had you know i haven't i've seen hide nor hair of him that is true and hey classic jerry curl mullet bishop yep and classic beast yep and mohawk storm and Always orphan good. storm Yep. And Thunderbird, not not Warpath, but definitely Thunderbird. Yeah. And, and Apocalypse cl- Apocalypse with classic cable. And I think okay, so between Black King Emma and 90s Cyclops, uh just below 90s Jubilee, is that Sebastian Shaw? I or- think yeah, I think that's Shaw. Okay. I I was like, well, it could be Namor. <laughs> could be the king of Atlantis, but no I, I my money's on shaw for that one yeah and then, that's else we got a classic nimrod in the back behind the laundra yeah. who's been dead for how long we've got multiple logans we have oh, yeah. brown and yellow sort of current logan and weapon x logan <laughs> it's like being in a tight toy store in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> it totally is uh, classic dazzler is that Blink above Jubilee? Yes. And okay. Gateway to her uh, her right, our left. And Toad and, on the other side of Cable. Yep. And Warlock, classic Warlock and classic Archangel too. Yeah. So it's really all over the place in, you know, its era. It, it, it feels more like, uh, hey, Mark Brooks, draw your favorite ver- versions of the X characters. <laughs> But I, I tend to think Hickman is one of those I've got a plan guys. So I'm expecting it to all of this to sort of be something. Oh, in classic Magneto right in the middle. I think he's the one we didn't yeah. he's front and center right behind Chuck and whichever redhead that turns out to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly don't know what to make of this. It would be weird to jump from one AU to another. Um, you know, maybe we're in for some sort of cross-time caper. Uh, who's to say? But, um, you know, I, I kind of... I, I If you follow me on Twitter, you've kind of seen my, my thoughts on this whole thing. I'm not really interested in being a buzzkill. It's Hickman. He's going to do something epic, you know, and, and otherwise... 
like I said, we don't know what this means for the line. We haven't seen July solicits. We don't know what's staying and what's going away, although I'm pretty sure Mr. Mr. and Mrs. X is going away. But, um, I mean, otherwise, you know, we know we're getting these two bi-weekly series with uh, Pepe Larraz and R.B. Silva on art, which are great picks for art. Uh, the Pepe did uh, Extermination, and that was gorgeous. Uh, you know, and uh, Matt Rosenberg, who's writing on Candy right now, tweeted his support for Hickman. So, I really, I guess what I wanted just kind of to do right here, right now, is say thank you to the current crop of X-Men writers. To, to Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson, Ed Brisson, Leah Williams, Shauna McGuire, Zach Thompson, Lonnie Nadler, Vita Ayala, and Tim Seeley. Uh, I, I really am not being hyperbolic when I tell you that I have not been this excited to be reading X-Men comics on a weekly basis s since 1993, like when I first got into them. Uh, you know, the, the people who are writing X-Men now not only love these characters, not only share some of the fan, same fandom history uh, as us, you know, not, but not only have that well of deeper thought that allows them to tell good stories, you know, and not only are perhaps the best example of the intersectionality of mutant metaphor that we've seen behind the, behind the page, but they've been incredibly open and accessible on social media, uh, you know, because quite frankly, they get it. They just get it. And we've been incredibly fortunate, uh, us on this podcast, to have had a, a few of those people come on the show, uh, including one more who is due to record with us uh, next week, whom I won't spoil just yet, uh, in case things fall apart for whatever reason, knock on wood. But, uh, you know, on top of all that, they have managed to build an event, Age of X-Men, not out of punching, but they've built out of character. Think about the Age of X-Men issues that you've read so far. Most of it is people talking about their feelings. How insane is that? <laughs> and how amazing is it that it totally works? I mean, who would have thought a Glob Herman series would be as engaging as Next Gen is? Or, uh, or the Blob! Yes! The, and I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I want to throw in my two cents since I have not I'm not as intrinsically linked to the X-Books as Dan or friend of the show, writer for the website Charlie Davis is, but it's interesting how each different book appeals to someone differently that my favorite of the Age of X-Man books is actually, was actually lower towards the bottom of both of your countdowns yet is still an equally valid, equally excellent choice. Uh, Amazing Nightcrawler, by the by. Mm -hmm. um, I love, I'm in love with that. I mean, I love Kurt. Kurt is always one of But McGann and Kylan! Frickin' Kylan! I need to dig around and see if I can find my Kylan action figure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, you know, in all seriousness, uh, I, I hope these folks continue to write X-Men in the month after Age of X-Men. Uh, you know, it's not X-Men if there are too many damn titles to keep up with. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, for whatever reason, this is the end of the current sort of iteration of the X-Pool, uh, I implore you to seek out some of the other books by these creators. You know, go back and read Four Kids Walk Into a Bank by Matt Rosenberg and Tyler Boss. Uh, Seriously, folks, one of the best crime comics I've read in the past five years, and I read a lot of crime comics. Um you know, uh, Leah Williams has a new series coming out from Lion Forge next month called Render. Uh, that's going to be amazing. 
uh, read Livewire from Vita Ayala over at Valiant. Uh, you uh, if know, I can jump in again yeah, for one please, second. For, please. for those of you who don't follow Valiant or don't know Livewire, picture a an equally badass African-American character. Like a, 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 She is the storm of the Valiant universe. She's a Psyot, which is their mutants. She communicates with technology. She is an awesome character who I didn't know too well until she became a member of Valiant sort of premier superhero team Unity, which uh, had uh, one of my favorite Valiant characters, the Eternal Warrior, as one of the team. And I, by the end of the that series, because Valiant does a great thing where most of their series are, even their big tent poles are kind of limited runs, you know, 25 issues in and out kind of deal. By the end of that series, I was like, okay, I now need to go back and read Harbinger and find out more about Livewire. And now a couple of years later, what uh, Vita Ayala is doing with her in that book is tremendous. And there's sh- the first trade, I believe, comes out next month, and all Valiant Volume 1s are nine ninety nine. so there is not a better time to check out Vita's work on that book. Yeah, I, I think I think Livewire combines the best elements of, like, Storm, Cyclops, and Emma Frost. So, that should sell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but but seriously, though, know, like vote for these people with your dollars, and if you see them at a con, uh, tell them how much you appreciate their work. Uh, and yeah, so that's my that that's my uh, that's my avalanche of feels <laughs> <laughs> for for the for this segment of the show. Whew, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there was some other stuff, <laughs> some some non X Men stuff. Uh, Marvel released their their kind of whole event slate for uh, 2019. Some of the stuff we already knew about. Uh, obviously, War of the Realms is about to start and and just release waves upon waves upon waves of tie-ins. So many. This is the most tie-ins for an event that I've seen since that, you know, since some of those crossovers that, we try not to talk about the, you know, your uh, Civil War twos and Secret Empires. Yeah, uh, I'll be kind and say Secret Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been yes. But uh, speaking speaking of Leah, one more time, she does have a giant man. Giant men. One, one yes. of those. It involves giant four men. giant men. Uh, <laughs> tie-in uh, three issue tie-in series for War of the Realms, where apparently like um, Scott Lang. And uh, Atlas from the Thunderbolts, Bill Foster's son, and the other one from I think like Avengers Academy or something like that, uh, go undercover as frost giants amid War of the Realms. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> that one, and I'm looking forward to Journey into Mystery from uh, the McElroy family, who do one of my favorite podcasts, The Adventure Zone. And uh, there are other podcasts. Well, they have a whole podcasting empire between the four of them. But uh, I'm looking forward to their like quirky little team book, uh, Journey into Mystery, with all sorts of like just sort of random. It feels like random characters. It's Miles Morales and Balder and a, f- a few others. It's just like I never quite 
know where how all those characters are going to fit together, but I look forward to seeing how they do it. Uh, and then the the Hickman X stuff, which I just mentioned, uh, absolute carnage. Finally, <laughs> after twenty six years, a sequel to Maximum Carnage. Oh, will, will, will there be a Spider Man doppelganger? Come on, Spider Man doppelganger! It, it's time, man. The people have demanded a Demo Goblin comeback. <laughs> oh. uh, or Shriek, Marvel's answer to Harley Quinn. Yeah, that 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 was. That was they were trying hard on that one, but you know we're making jokes now. But it's Donny Cates and Ryan Sigman, so it's it's gonna be good. <laughs> oh yeah, and you know, it, it Maximum Carnage spawned an excellent Sega Genesis game. A lot that, of fun. That is very true. It was also on the Super Nintendo, but uh, so that's in August, I think. And then they have a mystery event coming in December. Which I, you know, I certainly don't have any educated guess to what the hell it could be. I'm trying to think of what characters there are left to focus on because War of the Realms is pulling in everybody. I'm wondering if this will pick up the threads that were left by the somewhat more limited in scope event that was Infinity Wars because we. Don't I don't know where where Jerry Duggan is going with that with the Wolverine Infinity Watch miniseries. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's sort of laying the groundwork for something else, and I feel like Donnie hates taking a lot of the major cosmic characters out of the equation in Guardians for the moment. Mm-hmm. Feels like maybe Duggan has plans. For some of them and thus it was like okay I can't use Adam Warlock I can't use the Silver Surfer uh, um, I've got really just the core Guardians characters to work with so let me get these guys out of the picture for Duggan to come back and do whatever he's planning to do with them hmm. that's a maybe but I mean yeah. I wonder if they want to do another Infinity event i mean then again starlin used to do one a year so true it will have been about a year from when infinity wars ended it ended in january so starting the next event the following december is not outside the realm of possibility infinity crusades this time there's an s on the end <laughs> oh man but uh also uh pretty excited about this teeny howard is as uh got the franchise tag on her now she's got marvel exclusive and she's writing a death's head comic <laughs> that's great death's head <laughs> uh, uh i'm on board uh t's great uh she did a captain america uh annual last year that i really liked uh you know and i've people who've read read those books have nothing but good things to say about assassinistas and euthanauts um you know, she, she's someone I would love to have on the show eventually, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's good stuff. Um, Valkyrie, Valkyrie ongoing coming from Jason Aaron, who I guess is not done playing around in Asgard yet. And, uh, Al Ewing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I've been digging as guardians of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I'm sad that that's probably, going to be coming to an end with War of the Realms. I mean, it sort of makes sense with so much of Asgard changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, mean, I think 
I mean, I think both Aaron and Al Ewing are great writers, but this is another one of these times where I hate the thought of tokening writers and saying, well, you have had this experience, so you can be the only one slash should be the only one to write this. But, I mean, Val's current human host, Annabelle Riggs, is a queer woman. Um, and, boy, it would have been kind of nice to see, I mean, unless they, and hey, I mean, maybe Marvel offered it to every female-identifying writer that they have around and they all passed. And so, okay, Jason and, and all you guys are up. But it would have been interesting to see, because I don't know if have we ever had a, 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 a female writer on any of the Asgard stuff. Oh, uh, boy. Um, Maybe the Angela? I'm trying to remember who wrote the Marguerite Angela. Marguerite Bennett wrote the Angela book. Okay, so yeah, so then there was that. But I just, I wonder, I mean, that would have been kind of, it would have been a nice thing to see. But, I mean, hey, if if Al Ewing can turn the Hulk into the best horror comic coming out from the big two, I'll give his Valkyrie book a shot with no qualms whatsoever. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's Al Ewing. So it is, it is going to be phenomenal. Um, you know, and maybe this is, maybe this is something that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Maybe Jason Aaron decided he had a plan for Valkyrie, you know, um, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those, those who's to say things. Um, it's funny though. I listen to so much tightened up the defense that like, I only think of Valkyrie in the company of, of Dr. Steve and the Hulk and uh, Nighthawk now. No, Val. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's interesting to balance those two versions of that character in my head. As I also listen to quite a bit of tighten up the defense. Oh, 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 oh douchey seventies, Stephen strange with hubs. <laughs> Delightful, douchey, 70s Stephen Strange voice. Absolutely. Uh, but, Matt, you pointed out uh, is the the absence of something at C2E2. Yeah, there was no real news from DC. Uh, all of DC's panels were very much, hey, Batman 80th anniversary, and we've already announced all this. And, hey, these writers and artists are going to talk about writing and drawing but we're not going to announce anything. And so I'm kind of wondering if we're in officially in the, okay, Doomsday Clock is nearly over, and it should have been over a while ago, so we have to wait until after that to announce any of the stuff we have planned. Or has DC sort of blown its news with the solicitations of the past month with... Uh, Leviathan and Deceased and Batman the Last Night on Earth and all of these other event and tentpole books. Well, you know, that, and, and that's the thing, uh, isn't it? Although, I, you know, I do like the DC motto, running out the doomsday clock. But uh, <laughs> there are so many events happening concurrently at DC that I, as a casual DC reader, you know, the only series that I'm really reading kind of closely right now are Martian Manhunter and Heroes in Crisis. Um, guys, Martian Manhunter is phenomenal and you should be reading it. Yes, um, yes, you should. But anyway, back to my point is 
I kind of don't know where to look. Like last year, or I guess 2017 really, because that's when it started, metal, that was the thing. That was the one thing that was happening, and it was a, a mostly self-contained six-issue series with two preface issues, and it was awesome. And then it ran into no justice. And I was like, okay, well, I can, you know, I can keep up with this. And then it went into a, a, a bi-weekly Justice League series. And eventually I started to fall off. And then it was like, oh, here's Drowned Earth. And here's the Witching Hour. And here's Doomsday Clock. And here's, and then that's when I started to get whiplash. And I had to like jump back out of the, uh, out, of, out of the pool, uh, so to speak. But now there's like all these things happening at once. And we're keep, you know, my understanding of Doomsday Clock is that it's apparently eventually supposed to sort of, set the new status quo for DC. But in the meantime, there's also this Leviathan thing that apparently is happening, born out of uh, what Bendis is doing in uh, the Superman comics. And, and uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I I'm looking forward to that one of all of DC's current sort of events. That's the one I'm most curious about because I've really a been digging what Bendis has been doing in action. B Leviathan is Talia al Ghul's organization, so there's going to be some bat tie in there, so that always helps win me over a little. Uh, and it feels like it's going to be a somewhat more intimate event. I mean, we haven't heard anything about tie-ins or anything to it, and it just kind of feels like a lot of the threads that Vendis has been pulling sort of coming together in this spy epic with Alex Maliv art, which Bendis and Maliv uh, work very well together. Um, and if you know, you're a DC fan, you'll, you'll see an example of that this Wednesday. Um, not saying anything more than that for now, but <laughs> keep your eyes out for uh, a review going up on the site in the next couple of days. But, uh, you know, and maybe maybe it's it's almost born of their current publishing philosophy. Like, if you think of DC now, they're, like, all over the place with imprints and, like, Ink and Zoom, Black Label and Vertigo, you know. Uh, well, Bendis' imprint, the, uh, the whatever the Young Justice imprint is, that name is eluding me at this moment. Wonder Comics. Thank you. Um, so, I don't know. It's just, it's weird from an accessibility standpoint, I guess. Uh, but, uh, and maybe, I mean, just from an, you know, if we're just talking about, how, you know, how come they didn't really announce anything, maybe they just didn't want to be overshadowed by Marvel. Maybe, you know, WonderCon is next week. Technically that's, or actually this week, uh, you know, that's technically their home, uh, convention. And if I'm not mistaken, last year they did do a big announcement panel at WonderCon. Mm, that is a very good call. And I mean, it, it would make sense to make a big announcement. I mean, this is, no matter what Marvel does, this is DC's week. Detective Comics 1000 means DC wins this week, no matter what anybody else does. Yeah. So you come off the, the week of probably your strongest sales, definitely of the year so far, and possibly of the year period, with a big announcement is not a bad plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Plus that means they're just, they're going to own the month of March now with this yeah. nine ninety nine book. <laughs> with, uh, X, a very large number of variants as well. 
Yeah. So there there will be plenty of people shelling out more than nine ninety nine for Detective One Thousand this week. Truth. Um, and then here's a story that came out just before the con on uh, Thursday. New York Times had a story about uh, apparently former Marvel editor in chief Axel Alonso, former publisher Bill Jemis, and uh, John Miller, who. Uh, is a behind-the-scenes guy, apparently had a hand in the Mark Miller Netflix deal, uh, two different spellings of Miller there, uh, are forming their own comics publishing company called Artists, Writers, and Artisans, with titles due to launch in the fall. Uh, so far, their creative stable includes Peter Milligan. Uh, I don't know if it's ACO or ACO. I don't know yeah. if it's an acronym or a name. Yeah, but same. That artist, who is very good, uh, Frank Cho, Michael Marici, uh, plus consulting from uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Garth Ennis, who in the past few years hasn't met a, a startup publisher he didn't jump onto. Um, and, that, that, and that's not a criticism, uh, actually. I think it probably is is what gives him the ability to kind of write all these war comics that he's very uh, passionate about. Uh, in fact, we're going to uh, – Joshua Bermont this week uh, reviewed his uh, Out of the Blue uh, OGN that's out from Aftershock, which is the World War II uh, dogfighting story. But uh, anyway, kind of two observations about this real quick. Uh, Jemis was the brains behind Double Take Comics. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, launched in 2014, shut in 2016, and attempted to build a shared universe around Night of the Living Dead. I only vaguely remember that one, and yeah, I, I not enough brain space to try to remember that one. Yeah, uh, he also his era of being the publisher of Marvel is what gave us Marvel, <laughs> and the off maligned on this podcast for some reason it keeps coming up trouble. <laughs> Those are two of the most painful comics. From a Marvel era that gave us uh, Angel and the Husk doing it, flying above her mom. So, yeah. That's right. Bill Jemis also gave us the Chuck Austin run. <laughs> yes, he did. He's history's greatest monster. <laughs> uh, but, uh, pretty high up there. Yeah. Now, you know, I know this is becoming kind of an oft-used refrain every time a new publisher enters the scene every couple of months, which feels like it's been happening with some regularity, you know, but do, you know, what, what, do, what do we make, the pedigree is there. What do we do with another publisher? You know what I mean? Like, like what are they doing that TKO isn't doing? You know, the thing that kind of made TKO stand out is like, well, we're going to give you trades. We're going to give you the first, you know, we're going to give you an entire six issue story in one sitting, you know, sitting. We're going to appeal to sort of the binge mentality or Ahoy, which, you know, they're like, we're going to give you comics, but we're also going to give you all this awesome back matter, you know, and we're going to, we're going to kind of unify ourselves around this very satirical, humorist mentality through our books, you know, or, or even just like plain old indie publishers like a Black Mask or a Vault. Which even Vault is now diversified into, right. uh, you know, they're getting into the youth graphic novel market as well. And when you talk about youth comic, I mean, Lion Forge with its, mm -hmm. you know, age ranges and very much appealing to a younger demographic. I mean, and not that they're just appealing to a young, younger demographic, but really having a, the strongest 
youth comics program of any publisher with the possible exception of boom at this point. Absolutely. Uh, shout out again to uh, recent past guest Steens. But uh, I mean, you know, I guess that, that, that's what I want to know that I don't know yet is, is what these guys are going to do that, that is different. Uh, you know, I, I think with somebody like Ahoy, whose praises that we've sung more often than not on this podcast and on our website, you know, we know I can answer that question. I think I did like two minutes ago. But, you know, <laughs> what makes these books need to exist somewhere other than like Aftershock or TKO? You know, if I'm a comic shop, why do I need this in my shop? Why am I going to devote space to it, you know, when my budget is is limited and Marvel e- already eats up almost half my space? Yeah. I mean, I know there was some that I, the article said they were planning to do both, you know, self-contained, create own books and a, a shared universe. But that, for, frankly, as someone who worked in comics retail is more of a scary point than a point in their favor Go because on. shared universes with no established pedigree mm-hmm. are kind of a scary thing. You, you don't know what you're going to get when you're getting a publisher that's just releasing creator owned or independent, you know, independent of others series titles Mm -hmm. you can look at the creators and you can be like okay i'm gonna order the book um i'm trying to black mask you you know you have people you know black has a a a strong following you know a critical following and it has uh you know jamal eigel on art who's a known quantity so you're gonna probably order that and uh, Matthew Rosenberg was an up-and-comer, so you'll order four kids walk into a bank. But maybe you don't know the creators on a couple of their other titles, and maybe you're like, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to order these. If it's part of a shared universe, then it's like, do if I order one of the books in this universe, you feel almost forced to order the rest because if you get someone who's interested in one of those books, then great, you might have sale across the entire line. But if nobody's interested, then suddenly you have an entire line that no one is interested in. Yeah, so, you know, stay tuned. It'll be interesting to see uh, how this shakes out. Uh, you know, there, personally, there's a lot that I need to know before I'm going to take off my skepticism hat and put on my excitement fedora. Right. But, you know, hey, I would sooner wear a fedora, wear that fedora. I just need, yeah, as you said, we need a little more information. Yeah. And, and, and also better hats than fedoras. <laughs> yeah. Fedoras have unfortunately been co-opted by some pretty shady folk. <laughs> um, I, I've got a lovely Irish uh, I, a hat. I got when Amber and I were in Ireland. That that, that is my excitement hat. There you go. <laughs> it, it's uh, wool and it's it's very warm. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, talking about publishers that I would love to tip my hat to, uh, Boom uh, put out put out some information today that I think is pretty cool. 
Uh, starting in June, a minimum of two of their graphic novels each month are going to be fully returnable for retailers. Uh, you know, we talked earlier this year about the, the kind of retailer panic that it set in before Comics Pro. Uh, and returnability, you know, the fact that for a lot of comics, uh, retailers are stuck with what they order and then told to order more if their readers want certain variants, you know, it can be a real sticking point. So it's nice when a publisher extends the olive branch and, you know, is willing to share some of the risk on a title rather than just kind of shoving it out onto the direct market and saying, it's your problem now, bozo. <laughs> Natural bozo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, as someone who worked in comics retail for a lot of time, that is huge. That That is what allows allowed the new 52 to take off in the way it did because DC made a lot the first six issues of those new 52 titles returnable I think some of the less well received recent imprint or uh, not imprint uh, print, uh, initiatives from the big two might have been better received if publisher if comic shops were able to return them and they might have been more willing to give them a shot and I love I read a lot of books out of Boom I, I, I admit the most of their Boombox imprint um, the, the now that they have the weed and stuff that various of their other creator owned uh, titles and I would love to purchase more and if they're if my retailer and other retailers are able to get some of those volume ones of series that I might have passed on due to time and money. And I'm able to give the first trade a shot and it's right there in front of me. Great. Go for it. So that's, that's our news roundup segment. Uh, yeah, we should get to our guest. Yeah. <laughs> WNQA. Uh, so uh, this interview was actually supposed to take place a month ago, but it got hijacked uh, by uh, high winds uh, that uh, kept your uh, cruise ship out to sea uh, for uh, a little bit longer. Uh, these things happen, of course, but uh, I did want to—I did want to ask, as I was going to ask uh, a month ago, how was your vacation? Oh, it was great. Um, even you know, being stranded out on the Hudson River. Um, you know, a cruise ship, is, there are worse places to be stranded, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> uh, where, what, uh, what islands did you guys go to? Uh, let's see. We went to St. Kitts, uh, St. Lucia. Um, oh, man. Antigua and St. Thomas. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So kind of our general uh, icebreaker question, uh, what sure. comics do you remember reading when you first got into the media? Uh, you mean as a fan or? Yeah, as a fan or professionally. <laughs> uh, well, as a fan, um, I started with uh, like Richie Rich comics, um, uh, Hot Stuff, you know, the, the Harvey comic. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, I went into Archie. Uh, and then it wasn't long before I got into uh, the superheroes. Uh, probably the, my first superhero comics were Superboy and then Superman and, um, 
eventually I, I got into Spider-Man and that that opened up the Marvels for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once I got there, it was I was a big superhero uh, comic book fan, uh, mostly growing up. OK, uh, well, uh, one of the reasons you're here today is you have a Kickstarter out right now for uh, The Haunted Cowboy with Scott Young yes. and uh, Kim DeMolder. Uh, if you could give us a little bit of the uh, kind of elevator pitch for that book. Sure. Uh, it's it, it takes place in the Old West, in, in the actual uh, Deadwood, South Dakota. Um, and it's it, it's mostly about a young 15-year-old kid named Rusty Granger, who is sort of this this nerdy, you know, misfit. Uh, he's, he's picked on by the bullies in town. He's not very good at much. Uh, he's he's um, picked on by his overbearing uncle. Uh, he's in love with the, the pretty girl in town, uh, but he's not really getting anywhere. And, and his hero is Wild Bill Hickok. Now, Wild Bill comes to town and uh, he, he, you know, he start, strikes up a friendship with uh, with Rusty. Uh, but as as we all know, spoiler alert, things <laughs> don't go well for Wild Bill. Uh, Aces he, and eights. Yeah, that's right. He gets he gets shot, and uh, you know now Rusty is is really you know he's really doomed. He he loses his hero, his friend, uh, but the ghost of Wild Bill uh, comes to him and decides to train him uh, in in the art of cowboying. So he teaches Rusty how to shoot, how to ride, and uh, just makes a man out of Rusty. Uh, and that's where. Uh, Things start to get better for for our hero. Haunted cowboy. <laughs> now, it being set in Deadwood, is it going to be as full of swears as the HBO series? <laughs> no, we're we're trying to keep this for for all audiences, so uh, we we may have cleaned up the language a little. <laughs> no, Ian McShane and Garrett Dillahunt swearing until they turn blue. Okay, no. Good to know. <laughs> Yeah, on a, a slightly less all ages note, um, you've also kickstarted three volumes of uh, your creator-owned series with Dan Parent, Die Kitty Die. Uh, what was the genesis of that series? Well, um, uh, I've known Dan since I, I first started at Archie Comics in 1994. Um, and in all those years where, you know, we, we've worked on different things at Archie, we, we never worked together. And, um, it, it happened on a, on a flight to Dallas. We were going to a convention in Dallas and we were talking, you know, that, you know, we should work on something together. And we also wanted to do something on our own, you know, something away from Archie comics. Um, and we started kicking around ideas on the flight. And we we caught on very quickly that we were both into like the same things and we were interested in in doing comics about the same things. So um, we very quickly came up with the idea and the title of Die Kitty Die. Um, and, th- and that's really how how it happened. You know, we, we wanted to spoof uh, the comics that we liked. Dan, like me, he, he grew up loving the Harvey comics. Um, you know, and, and of course we, we take it more than a few jabs at Archie too. Um, so, 
you know, it, it was natural. Now you guys are both, you guys are both illustrators, obviously, but I was kind of curious, like what is, you know, the job role mix between you and Dan on Die Kitty Die, you know, is there a defined, you know, writer and artist, or do you guys just kind of trade off all over the place with that? Well, you know how it happens is, um, the way we do an issue is first we go to lunch and we sit down <laughs> and we, uh, you know, we, we hammer out a plot and each issue of, of Die Kitty Die has, is, is 20 pages long of story. And what we do is we divide those 20 pages into four or five page chapters. So when we plot out a story, we sit down and we say, okay, you know, you take this chapter, I'll take this chapter and you take this other one and I'll take this last one. And, um, then we just write our chapters and, you know, we're always emailing them or instant messaging our chapters to each other. And we say, great, I'll, I'll, I'll direct my chapter to tie up with your, with yours. And, uh, then we just draw our own chapters. So, so there's no game of exquisite corpse of, <laughs> I'm going to end this chapter and let's see that SOB figure out how way out of this one. <laughs> oh no. Okay. I, th I think we, we know that if we, if we try to get too cute with each other, we're just, we'll just screw ourselves. <laughs> um, you know, when, when you guys are kind of tossing ideas back and forth, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, there, there's one issue in the, uh, in the heaven and hell's, uh, volume where you know there's all this product placement going on for big deborah snack cakes and you've got all these you know ridiculous names for products like uranus nuggets and french toast camel toes sweet moose knuckle uh I, i'm just i'm just curious like how quickly that comes together you know is it just you know over lunch like you said or is it like a lost afternoon just spent sort of yes anding each other on, on uh on those little easter eggs yeah it's it's both um, a, a lot of those, like Dan has some weird fascination with little Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where a lot of those came from. Um, I, I really wanted to parody the, uh, what was the, the Charles Atlas ad? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. There was an issue where we took that on. I, I made him Satan. Um, <laughs> so, you know, some of these. Sometimes because we do work together and then we go off and work independently on our chapters, sometimes we do end up surprising each other. We, you know, here you go. Here's a, here's five pages riffing on, uh, on little Debbie, <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't know we, he was going to go there, but there we go. And, but it's always gold, you know, it, it's always great. So it's good. And, you know, that, and that's one of the great parts of the series is you kind of get to, you know, lampoon all these sort of, very classic concepts in comics. I'm wondering if there, there's any sort of any characters or, or, or series or just specific tropes that you've wanted to hit that maybe haven't fit the story yet. <laughs> um, well, hmm. there, there's stuff we we've been talking about very recently that I, I don't know. I, I don't think I want to give away just yet. Oh, sure. No, absolutely. It's going to work into our next volume, volume four, which mm -hmm. we'll be working on uh, next year. Um, you know, I, I think everything that we want to hit on, I think if we haven't done so yet, we will eventually. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you know, does it does this book get to kind of scratch that that subversive itch that maybe you know you haven't gotten at at, at other publishers? 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we we take direct, very unveiled jabs at, <laughs> at certain companies and, and certainly certain trends sure. in the industry. Um, I mean, so many people just come up to us at conventions and, and you know, they like to come up and, and kind of give us the wink and the nod that they're in on the joke too. And I'm like, yeah, we weren't being too subtle about it. <laughs> I mean, there's certain characters in that, in Die Kitty Die that I write with the, the definite voice patterns of real people. And mm-hmm. they almost write themselves when I do that. Um, Who shall be nameless? Oh, oh sure. Naturally. Yes. Naturally. <laughs> we, Names we have were... been changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we had the same conversation with Fred Van Lenty recently about his uh, con artist novel that does has a lot of similarly thinly veiled uh, people in there, too. Well, you know, that's that's the best kind of parody. I mean, that's when everyone can get it, you know? Uh, um, and I think we could all agree that B. Arthur is God, by the way. <laughs> no no that argument. Was, that was another one of those surprises where Dan sends me his scripts and I say, whoa, B. Arthur, okay. <laughs> uh, now, now I worship B. Arthur. <laughs> uh, um, you know, now that you've you've kind of you've been down the the, the Kickstarter route, uh, you know a few times now with uh, Haunted Cowboy and and Die Kitty Die, uh, mm-hmm. you know what what are some of the things that you've kind of picked up and 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 learned kind of going going the self publishing route? Uh, it's tough. <laughs> it's really <laughs> tough. It's um, uh, you know I love crowdfunding. Um, because I, I, yeah, and I talk about this at, in my classes that I teach. I, I think there's, um, I think there's, there's things wrong with our industry that really limits our our industry. Sure. And one of the things that's really hurting us is distribution is awful. Um, crowdfunding really uh, resolves that because it really makes it makes comics. Uh, it puts it in the hands of the creators. And the fans who want to support those creators and buy those comics. So um, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing because of that. And creators who might not otherwise have a voice or, or have a, a means by which they could put their comics out there, um, they can. You know, the, And as long as there are people out there willing to fund them and willing to uh, – to, to give them their money, you know, th- these creators can do that. Um, but it isn't easy. It is, it's, you know, sometimes people think of Kickstarter and they think of like those famous stories where, you know, people raise $3 million to make a grilled cheese, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's not like that. <laughs> you, you really have to, it requires a lot of work uh, and it requires a lot of uh, careful planning. You really have to do, you really have to do your math. You really have to work out what things are going to cost. You have to talk to printers beforehand and really have an idea uh, of what things are going to cost. And um, what I tell everybody, nobody remembers shipping. (laughs) Nobody remembers their shipping costs. They think this stuff is going to get to the, the fans by magic. 
it, it's the most math intensive and labor intensive part of the whole thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you you don't you never have exact figures to play with. Everything is a big uh, estimate. Uh, mm-hmm. So you, you just got to hope in the end that you could cover yourself and, um, you know, if you could pull out a few a few bucks for uh, for your trouble, that that's great. Um, you know, apart apart from sort of the, the crowdfunding model, if you, if you kind of had your, your your druthers and the ability to kind of change anything in the distribution model, how do you think you would how do you what you know, what what is one thing you would change, in the, you know, within the distribution model? currently uh well i wish you know in this uh, i would need like a magical wand to do this but i wish there were more outlets for comics Mm -hmm. um i mean i love my my local comic shop and i love the retailers but um you know we we need to get comics into the places where where that spontaneous buyer is going to find them Mm -hmm. And and that isn't going to happen if they need to deliberately walk into a comic shop. Um, you know, for for decades, comics existed, and they found new audiences by being at newsstands and bus stops, and you know, places where a little kid was going to see it and make his mother buy it for him. Um, I wish we could get back to that situation. Get get comics a little bit more uh, universal. Well, I mean, we've we've got DC Comics and Walmart now. That's that's kind of that's a kind of start. Yeah, yeah, I I'm all for that. Um, I wish there was there was more of that. Yep. I hope they do well with them too. I would. <laughs> uh, and I mean, uh, so yeah. Um, I mean, friend, you do a lot of cons, and your regular guest up at uh, my old stomping grounds, Dewey's. Comic City. Yep. Oh, it's Comic City. Yeah. Yep. Um, what's your favorite part of uh, cons and store appearances? Um, I guess it's meeting the fans. It, it really is. When when I've met fans now at some cons, there are some cons that I, I do uh, very regularly. Like I do New York every year. Uh, I just did Toronto Comic Con, which is one of my favorite shows. Um, I'll be, I do uh, uh, Fan Expo Canada in August, which is also in Toronto. That's another of my favorite shows. Um, and that, and doing the same shows year after year, you, you kind of you, you you meet fans that really become friends, and they stop by every year, and and you you know you guys catch up, and you talk to them, and you know they 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 want more of your work, which is always a great thing for both of us. Um, so that's, you know, that's fun. Um, I like doing the commissions for people. That's fun. I I like it when people give me, um, stuff that I, I wouldn't ordinarily draw. Uh, that's always good. I love being asked to draw, you know, new characters or favorite characters like, you know, Spider-Man, Superman. I love that. Um, you know, when people ask me to draw, you know, my, my one millionth jughead head, um, <laughs> okay, that's not bad either, but you know, I've done, it's, it's not as a, as, as a challenge as, you know, being asked to draw Dr. Doom or, uh, or something like that. Uh, Matt, is, uh, Fernando in your, uh, Batman sketchbook? Fernando is not only in my Batman sketchbook, Fernando is sketch number one. 
Really? Yes. Fernando is the first sketch. It's a kind of traditional Batman, you know, classic, you know, yellow bat symbol costume back free comic book day 2011, I think. Wow. Somewhere around. Yeah. uh, Eight years and I've now got 70 plus different bat characters in there or 70 plus sketch of many different bat characters lots of batmans as one might imagine but fernando was the first i I love sketchbooks with themes i always love playing within the theme that is that is uh that is fantastic uh you know what what is your what is your con schedule like uh this year uh this year's actually lighter than last year um because the last few years you know with with Die Kitty Die and the Kickstarter, you know, we, I, I, I was going crazy. Uh, but this year is pretty light. I got, um, uh, just did Toronto Comic Con. Uh, this Saturday coming up, I'll be doing, um, uh, it's a one day show, uh, ZapCon 3. Uh, Zap, another uh, great comic shop here in New Jersey. Uh, I'll be there with a lot of other Kubert School uh, teachers and, and students, past and present. Um, I'll be at East Coast Comic Con in May, right here in New Jersey, in Secaucus, New Jersey. Awesome! So we'll wait. <laughs> yes. Oh, great, great. Stop by. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'll be. Uh, you guys be at Garden State. Uh, I'm planning to. I usually hit Garden State. I, um, I haven't made it up to Garden State yet. Go, they did oh. a show in Atlanta. They they did a like an, a second show in Atlantic City one year. Which right. I covered for my day job, but I haven't been to the Morristown one yet. The Morristown one's great. It's really, you know, it, it's like everybody knows everybody there. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, it's it's a really fun show. Again, a lot of Kubert School people go there, so it, it's a huge reunion for a lot of us. Um, and I see, you know, uh, customers from all the different comic shops and. And uh, dealers that I've seen from a lot of local shows, I, I really like Garden State a lot. And the guys who run it, um, Dave and Sal, they're, they're yeah. great guys. Yeah, I've, I've talked to Dave once or twice. He's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, are you going to be doing uh, Free Comic Book Day at Dewey's? Oh, absolutely. Yep. We are going to be recording a live episode from there that day. Great, great. Yeah, I've I've done every free comic book day at Dewey's except for one, and I'm sick over missing that one. <laughs> you're you're always a draw, Aww. and we'll we'll hopefully get a you know a few words in live with you there too. Oh, that'll be great. Um, Dewey's always gets a, a nice, healthy crowd, and and I'm busy the whole day. It's, <laughs> it's a blast, and they always make it an event, so that that's great. I, I love it when the shops make make free comic book day, uh, you know, uh, effectively a party. Oh, absolutely! I mean, it's it's such an opportunity, and they they you know it's great when they take advantage. You know, I've been uh, this will be Dan's first time up at Dewey's, but I'm you know you know I've been there for I think I've missed two or three over the course of all those years when I wasn't you know working it. Uh, so it'll be interesting to be on the other side of the table, so to speak, this year. Is this the first year you're not working there at all? No, I didn't. The past two years, I didn't as well. Of uh, last, 
two years ago I had a wedding and last year I had the flu, but <laughs> this year, you know, I mean, I did that for 15, 15 years from, uh, 2000 to or six, uh, I did it from 2000 to 2016. Mm. So, or 2001, whatever the first one was <laughs> 2016. But, uh, we had, uh, we had Anthony on the show, uh, in December and he was basically like, "Oh, you guys should come, you know, should come back this year." And uh, yeah, basically, you know, took him up on it. <laughs> Anthony Marquez. Uh yeah, Anthony, yeah, yep. Oh, terrific! My protege. Yes. <laughs> Anthony was uh, one of my students at the Kubert School. Um, but you know, and and that is a perfect segue to uh, kind of the next section here. Uh, you're both an alumnus and an instructor uh, at the Kubert School. Uh, yeah. You know, did you go right from one into the other, or you know, how did you, how did you end up uh, teaching there after after you know being there as a student? Uh, well, you know, I I graduated in '94, and I was very lucky in that when I graduated um, a couple weeks before graduation. Uh, Archie Comics had come to the school. Um, every year, the school invites all the different comic book companies to to the school to review our graduating students' portfolios. Mm. Um, either they either these companies come to us, or we take field trips to them. Mm. Uh, you know, in the past, we've gone to Marvel, we've gone to DC when they were in New York, uh, we've gone to Valiant. Um, or, you know, they, they come here and even if they're across the country, like DC is in California now, yes. they'll send representatives out to the school. Um, uh, so the, the year I was graduating in 94, Archie came to the school and, uh, they were very kind and generous and they took pity on me <laughs> and, uh, they, they gave me a job. So they, I, when I graduated a week later, I started on my first, uh, freelance story for Archie. So for about a year, uh, all I did was, was just draw for Archie. Then in August of 95, uh, the, the legendary sensei Mike Chen from the Kubert school, he, he asked me to take over the Saturday morning classes at the Kubert school. Uh, the, the school runs Saturday morning classes that are open to anyone ages 10 and up. Uh, so mostly we, we would get, uh, little kids, uh, coming. Um, so I taught that for a year and then in, uh, August of 96, uh, Mike asked me if I wanted to teach, uh, full time on, on the, the regular curriculum during the day, during the week. Um, so I said, sure. Um, so I've been there ever since it's been, uh, 24 years now. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what, what classes are you teaching? Uh, currently, I'm teaching narrative art to all of the first year students. And I'm also teaching uh, sequential art uh, to all of the third year students. And that class I co-teach with uh, Adam Kubert himself. So oh. the two of us teach that course. That's awesome. Um, there's always, there's, there's, there's a very close relationship, uh, between the Kubert school, uh, and Dewey's, uh, obviously, uh, Anthony, whom we mentioned before, who owns the shop now is a Kubert yep. alum, uh, you know, was an instructor there. Uh, but 
you know, it goes back farther than that to when, when Dan Veltri was running the shop, uh, who hired Matt, uh, you know, uh, I'm wondering if either of you know, and maybe you don't, it's okay. Like what the history of that is. Huh. Um, I mean, from, from what I know, I, I big a big part of it is just Dewey's proximity to the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dewey's is in Madison and, uh, and the school is in Dover, New Jersey. Uh, and they are, I think it's literally two train stops away. Um, so pretty they, close. It, yeah, it, it's very close. I think, I think it's, it's not even half an hour to drive from one to the other. Um, and so, you know, we, we get a lot of students, of course, uh, especially our students who come from out of town. And when they get here and they're staying in Dover, they, they look for a good comic shop. So um, mo- a lot of them find their way to Dewey's. Um, so that's always been a big, a big, uh, you know, big connection right there. And I remember Dan uh, Veltri, he, he worked hard to, I think, get uh, Adam, Andy and Joe to the to the store. Um and I'm trying to think, did he get Joe? I think he yeah, finally- he did. I was there. It yeah. was one of Joe's last shop appearances. Okay. And I, I know I'm I know Andy's been to the store. I'm trying to think if Adam has. Yeah, Adam Adam appeared right around the time that he was doing action with uh, Jeff Johns and Richard Donner. Okay. Okay. So yeah, all th- all three, and you know they those guys don't do. Uh, they they were always very busy. Those guys don't do store signings lightly or easily. So it mm-hmm. was it was a real coup for for Dewey's to land all three Cubers. <laughs> yeah, and I mean I think it was also that I mean when you do fr- I mean when Dan and now Anthony would do Free Comic Book Day, it was always this almost kind of standing invite for uh, third years. It's third years, yeah. right? That's the third years and recent graduates of the Kubert school to come on down and do free comic book day at Dewey's Dan liked having that, that energy and the, you know, these up and coming artists doing free comic book day with us. Oh, that, that was, and it was great for the students, you know, it, it gives them like their first taste of that sort of thing. Um, you know, they, it, it's just a great experience for them. It kind of gives them a, a, a a toe in the water of, of what conventions are like. So that was always great. I always liked that Dan did that and, and that Anthony's still doing that. And, uh, you know, the, certainly the people who come, they, they really seem to like it too. Yeah, we, we look forward to talking to the, to them as well on free comic book day. So I first saw your work at, um, when you did one of your store appearances at Dewey's back in the late nineties, which (laughs) seems like way long ago when it was you and I'm probably going to butcher his name after all these years, uh, Paul Castiglia doing Archie's weird mysteries. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, Um, you got his name, right? Good for for me. Um, (laughs) You've done a lot of work with Archie over the years. Um, is there a favorite Archie story project you did for them? Uh, yeah, there, there's a few that, that stand out for me. Um, I had a great time. Our, uh, Archie's Weird Mysteries was was a fun um, series. I, I think that was my first 
real ongoing series that I did. Um, it's the first book that I did covers for. Um, and just the fact that that book was kind of outside of the, the typical Archie mold, you know, they were, you know, they, they'd be encountering aliens and monsters and, and, you know, I always describe it as Archie are doing the Scooby-Doo thing. (laughs) <laughs> but at the end, instead of like the monster being, uh, you know, a cranky old farmer pulling a real estate scam, uh, it, it's really, you know, it's, it's a real monster. Um, so that you got you, you got to do the Crusaders in there for a couple of issues, too. Yeah, that uh, Archie's Weird Mysteries number three. And that was my my very first professional comic book cover was was Archie with the Crusaders. So that was that was good. Um, I also did a long run on the, uh, uh, life with Archie magazine. And and that was the one where Archie was an adult and he was married to both Betty and Veronica in different parallel worlds. It wasn't bigamy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) just to clarify that, um, I, I, I drew the Veronica half of the book. So uh, I drew the timeline where Archie was married to Veronica. And that was interesting. Um, Probably my favorite thing. Oh, I I also did um, Archie, the man from Riverdale. And where Archie, you know, he's kind of he's a spy. It was a takeoff on the old man from Uncle TV series. Uh, And that was great because that was written by um, a a real legend in the business, Tom DeFalco, Mm. who. Uh, editor-in-chief of marvel for for many years and, and he wrote you know he wrote spider-man he wrote thor fantastic four um I mean, he was a guy i i wrote uh, that i read when i was a kid growing up so um to work from one of his scripts was a real thrill um and an even bigger thrill when i drew the first issue uh his scripts were a real joy to to draw because I mean, he's an old pro. He knows exactly how much info to put into a script um, and when to let the artists play. So it, it was it was really a perfect script. And um, when I turned in the, my the first issue of pencils for that book, um, he called me up and he got my my answering machine and he leaves this this very kind gushing phone message about how much he loved my pages and i and i never had a writer do that before and and to have it be him i was so i was so honored and touched that was great um but my my favorite most fun thing that i did for archie has to be uh archie versus predator (laughs) uh and that was i mean you know, I was I was surprised every second of that of that series. <laughs> that that was on our agenda. Believe me, <laughs> we we have to we had to ask um, favorite kill from that book. Who? Oh boy, um, man! Without giving too much away, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess Sabrina. Mm. I think Sabrina. Although Pop Tate, uh, who goes, not again, spoiler alert, Pop Tate goes before Sabrina does. And when I drew that, as as pretty much throughout that whole series, I drew that 
with the with the eraser ready to go, figuring they're never going to let me do this. So they're going to make me change this. Um, but they didn't. It, it all went through. Um, but I knew once once we did what we did to Pop Tate, um, uh, I knew we were playing for keeps. <laughs> I, I knew they were serious. Oh, all bets were off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. There's actually apparently Dark Horse is putting out a new edition of the trade uh, in June. Really? Oh wow! Yeah. You, wow, I, I hadn't heard. I, I wonder if uh, they're putting in any new stuff. Um, I, I did not check that part. I just happened to be kind of casually scrolling through the solicits, but uh, yeah. Um, oh, that's great. And, and of course, Archie versus Predator also opened the door for Archie versus Sharknado. Uh, I know Dan drew that one, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just another example of, of kind of gleefully killing uh, Archie characters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it was really Archie meets Kiss that really opened the door for this modern era of Archie meeting and versus everybody. Uh, but I think it was Archie versus Predator that, that really uh, laid down, the, you know, really set a precedent for you. Let's kill these guys. <laughs> and let's kill these guys in very horrible, violent ways. <laughs> um, I mean, you've wrote, written and drawn most of the, the Riverdale gang over the years. I know you did a lot with uh, Chuck Clayton uh, for yeah. a while there. Um, is he your favorite of the, the Riverdale crew or is there somebody else who really spoke to you? Uh, Chuck's a lot of fun, and I, I got to do a mini series within a series, uh, a story in Archie and Friends um, that was written by the, the great Alex Simmons, who, who's written a lot of stuff, and he's a super sweet guy. Um, and he wrote the cartoon life of Chuck Clayton, which was which was fun to draw. Um, but I think even more than Chuck, I've always loved Reggie. And, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's the, he's the bad guy. He's the arch enemy in the Archie universe. Um, and I've always, I've always wanted Reggie to get his own book. I, I've always thought there was, there was a lot there that we could have fun with. Um, but I, I at least got to, to handle Reggie in a few solo stories for the Digest. So I, I got that at least. Uh, Tom DeFalco, actually, I think he did a Reggie miniseries. It might have been like yeah. two years ago now, that, but uh, that was that was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, that was for their their new look, their mm -hmm. uh, you know their post reboot Archie. Right. So uh, as we hit a couple of other interesting high points um, or points in your career, because mm -hmm. um, you have done so much work in so many different places. When I was kind of going through and looking at stuff, I had remembered and then saw your work that you did some illustrations for uh, PS Magazine, the U.S. Army's preventative maintenance magazine that was originally illustrated by the late, great, legendary Will Eisner. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was that like? And, you know, what was it like not only working with the Army, but following in the footsteps of one of the great gods of comics? <laughs> Um, well, you know, uh, uh, it, it went through a couple of hands after, uh, Will Eisner and, uh, Joe Kuber was, was drawing it, uh, really right up until he, uh, when he passed away. 
um, when he did pass away, uh, Adam and Andy continued it, uh, and they've, they took on a lot of, a lot of help to, to do it, to keep doing it. Uh, and I was lucky enough to, to participate for a few issues. Um, that's a, that's a tough gig. The, the army doesn't play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it, well, the, the magazine is, is, it's, preventive maintenance it's 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 a how-to magazine you know it's it's informative it's it's factual uh and it's all about the army's technology all of their equipment and it covers stuff from um from like tanks to gas masks to their boots to you know a clip on their belts i mean it covers like everything um so the the technical stuff really has to be dead on. Um, fortunately, I, I never had to do the technical stuff. My job was to draw the 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 figures, the people, the soldiers, uh, and some of the the recurring characters that they use to to explain the stuff. Uh, and wherever the machine would go, uh, or whatever equipment that story issue was about i always left that open you know I, I just very loosely block it in and then other somebody else whose whose job it is to excel at drawing army boots or machine guns they would go in and they would fill in that piece of equipment um but even with the figures uh the army's very strict you know they they want the if, if you're drawing a soldier, his uniform has to be perfect, perfect number of pockets, uh, the patches have to be right, uh, insignias have to be correct. Um, you know, everything is, it's very, very, very detail oriented. So, um, you know, it was, it was a tough gig. It was, a, it was, it wasn't an easy gig to do. So like you would get stuff kind of like sent back to you with a lot of notes frequently. Oh yeah. 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 Though I think almost always, um, you know, I'd get the, I'd get the chapters that I was drawing. I would draw them and hand them in, but there was always a, another pass at them where the army would go in and they would circle stuff. You know, uh, a boot was too high, a patch was off, something wasn't buttoned right, um, you know, stuff like that, and I'd have to go in and, and fix it. Um. On, on your website, uh, there were there were some sketches for a uh, graphic novel. Uh, I think it was titled Web, but it was uh, about a town where people live alongside advertising mascots. Yeah, um, this sounds like an awesome project. Uh, I was kind of curious, like what stage of of production or you know it was in. Or well, if, or if it's out, if people you know how people can track it down. Uh, I'm I'm currently drawing it right now. Um, uh, they, they do have a uh, website which is not coming to. I think it's webgraphicnovel.com. Um, but if you can't find it there, go to my website, Fernando Ruiz, everybody, and you could get to it. You, you know, you could find the the web page there. Um, but it, it's a it's a fun it's another fun gig, and it, two guys who are publishing it themselves. Uh, they just came to me and they asked me if I if I wanted to draw it. And, uh, Hey, I'll draw anything. Sure. (laughs) But it's, it's, it really is a fun thing. It's, it's about this race car driver who lives in a world, 
where um, advertising mascots are real. So imagine like the Roger Rabbit world, but with ad- with with advertising mascots instead of cartoons. So you know you 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 can be in a diner and you'll be hanging out with like a living jar or a guy who who's dressed like a hot dog or you know an animal you know so it's cool you know i love drawing quirky stuff like that it's awesome and uh, for the listeners that's web with two b's in case you're yeah. going hunting for it <laughs> yeah web with two b's uh, what, are, what are you reading right now uh in terms of comics uh comics or, or prose either way uh, well, actually, if, if we're including prose, I, I've gotten hooked on um, Richard Stark's Parker novels. Um, and I kind of, you know, I, I, I learned of Parker through the Darwin Cook series mm-hmm. of a few years ago. Um, and I, I bought those books because I love Darwin's, uh, Darwin's art. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you, you guys ever... No, but Darwin drew the uh, cover to the uh, first hardcover of Die Kitty Die. Oh, I, I remember fondly. It was yet another reason for me to immediately back the Kickstarter. Oh, great. Because, oh, no problem. You're, you're, it's you and Darwin <laughs> Cook. It, it was kind of like, it was a no-brainer. And oh. I, I have waxed rhapsodic about those Parker books on this podcast on at least one occasion, I'm sure more than once. Uh, definitely with, with when uh, we had Jeff Rugby on uh, back in January, you guys got like you guys went down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really great, and and the books that they're based on are, are aw- uh, you know awesome. Um, I uh, you know I, I took I took a couple with me on on the cruise. We started we started the conversation off talking about. Um, and they're they're great. They're only about two hundred pages or so. Um, Richard Stark, or his real name Donald Westlake, um, boy, he didn't waste a word. <laughs> There's such an economy of of description in those books. Um, it's great. It's 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 beautiful. Um, so I, I've been reading that. Uh, in terms of comics, um, you know, I I. I bounce around a lot all over the place. I, I, I'm, st- I'm sticking with The Walking Dead. Um, I was reading uh, a little bit of the new Superman. I've been picking up the, the recent Shazam. Um, uh, Dale Eaglesham's art is, is beautiful. You know, he, he seems to be channeling Gary Frank, but that's okay with me. Uh, he, <laughs> you know, I love Gary Frank, so great. Um, so stuff like that. I've, I've been reading a lot of um, Marvel's uh, epic collections, hmm. the, the reprint volumes. Sure, um, they've been great. I, I on the same vacation, I took with me uh, the uh, X Men Children of the Atom volume, which mm-hmm. covered the the earliest issues of the the X Men back in with the original team from the sixties. Um, that was great. Um, the stories weren't always uh, as top notch as what was happening in Spider-Man or in the Fantastic Four, um, yeah. but there, there's a lot of potential there. You, 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 you can see the greatness. 
as we're uh, as we're wrapping up, how can people follow you online if you in fact wish to be followed? Oh yeah, please follow me, stalk me, do whatever. <laughs> um, let me let me get all this straight. Uh, I'm certainly on Facebook. You can find me, Fernando Ruiz. Make sure make sure it's me. Um, you can find me at my website, Fernando Ruiz Everybody.com. Uh, and I post there and, uh, you can also email me through that website. Um, believe me, the emails will reach me. Um, I have a YouTube channel now, Fernando Ruiz. Uh, I think it's Fernando Ruiz art on YouTube. Um, if you, if you do a search for me, my videos will come up. And what I do is, uh, uh, I've been doing a lot of time-lapse videos of me drawing. So if you want to see how I draw different stuff, different characters, um, please subscribe to my channel, hit the little bell so you'll be notified of new videos. Um, I, I, I need subscribers. Um, you can find me on Instagram too. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm Fernando Ruiz uh, Art. Um, although I, I don't really use Twitter that much, but I, I link to it from Instagram. So stuff, stuff turns up on Twitter too. All right, Fernando, thank you so much for coming on doing the show. Oh, my pleasure. This, this was a lot of fun. And of course, we'll see you on free comic book day. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll be there. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes and the ability to promote your work on our site, and two dollars gets you a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. Uh, you can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plenal views, and we'll see you next time. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.